Well, it's good to be back up here preaching. It's been a minute, uh, so I'm pretty jacked up, so I'll probably do a lot of yelling today. But uh, hey, if this is your first time here with us, you need to know something about me that's probably pretty obvious, but I just want to state the obvious. And that is, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus, obviously, because of what I believe he came to do for you and me and the salvation and forgiveness he offered through his death and resurrection. But I also love him because of how he lived. I mean, he just lived the best life. I love him for how he related to people and how he answered questions and how he talked. And I just walked through life. He just lived the best life. And, and it's why I say, man, if, if you, you should follow Jesus because not only will it make your life better, it will make you better at life. Well, one of the many things I love about Jesus is actually recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 15. And here's what Luke's, Luke wrote. He said, now the tax collectors and sinners, those are people who are viewed as unacceptable to God, lost, you know, the outcasts of society. Those people were drawing near to him. We're drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes, those are the religious, you know, Jewish leaders. They, were, they grumbled saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. This is one of the things I love about Jesus. One of the things I love about Jesus is the, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And he liked them too. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them too. Which leads to two questions. Why did people who were nothing like Jesus like him? And I think the reason that people who were nothing like Jesus liked him is because, or why Jesus liked people who were nothing like him is because they are who he came to this world for. I mean, Jesus himself said that the entire reason that God sent him was to seek and to save those who were lost. Those who have a broken relationship with Holy Creator God because of their violation of sin against him. And that's you, and 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 me, and every single person. Jesus was clear that our Heavenly Father sent him on a mission to restore and redeem and reconcile our broken relationship with him in this life and the next. That's what Jesus gave his life on the cross for. That's what Jesus rose from the grave to prove that only he can do. And before Jesus physically left this earth, after his resurrection, right before he physically ascended to heaven, he called us his followers, his church, to be his body and carry on the mission, his mission of seeking and saving those who are lost by sharing the good news of his love, forgiveness, joy, grace, salvation, hope, and peace and mercy with them. And what this means, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life, here's what it means. It means that you can't follow Jesus without carrying on Jesus' mission. You've got to know this. Jesus never intended people to simply believe in him. He invited people to follow him. And Jesus never called his followers Christians. Not once. He called those who follow him disciples. And you can define Christian any stinking way you want to define Christian, but you can't define disciple that way. Because a disciple is someone who says, I am committed to someone who says to someone else, I'm committed to follow you because I want to become like you. So wherever you are leading, I'm going. Whatever you ask me to do, I want you to know that my answer is yes before you even ask it. And Jesus' final, final marching orders to his followers, to his disciples before he left this earth was carry on the mission that I came for. <laughs> but this is not just something we're called to do. It's actually who we are. Jesus and the writers of the New Testament tell us that as followers of Christ, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are 
Christ's ambassador sent on a mission to draw the world to God. It's who we are as followers of Jesus, who we are as disciples of Christ. Now the second question is, why did people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus? People who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, because of how they perceived him. There was something about the way Jesus talked, acted, responded, interacted that captured the attention of sinful, prideful, immoral, unforgivable, broken, lost people and made them perceive him as someone who not only liked them, but who was also like a bull. And that made them want to know him. So here's the question. How do people who don't follow Jesus perceive those of us who claim that we do? You and me. And that's an important question to answer because you know this. Perception matters. Perception matters. It matters because when someone perceives something about someone else, it doesn't mean that that's true about that person, but it's true to the person who perceives it. Perception matters. Perception matters also because perception impacts likability. So is how, people are, is, is how people are perceiving us as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, making us likable to them? It's an important question to answer because likability impacts relationship. And you know this to be true. If you don't like someone, you don't want to have a relationship with them. The same is true with you. If someone doesn't like you, they don't want to have a relationship with you. And when it comes to being the salt of the earth and the light of the world and Christ's ambassadors, relationship is so important because relationship impacts influence because influence happens within the context of relationship. You know this to be true. I mean, as soon as a boss or a friend or a parent or a coach loses relationship, they lose the ability to positively influence their kid or their spouse or their teammate or their employee or their student. And here's the reality that those of us who are followers of Christ have got to accept and got to know. The way many people who, who would say they're not, not followers of Christ perceive those of us who are, it's making us unlikable. Like Jesus, we're capturing the attention of a watching world. But unlike Jesus, causing them to perceive some nasty, ugly, unlikable things about them, about us. Just ask them. They'll tell you. Some of them are here right now. If I gave them a mic, they'd be like, let me talk. And come on. We wonder why we've lost so much influence in the world. Now that leaves us with two options. Option number one, we can get defensive, throw our hands up, say that's their problem, it's, it's good thought their problem because they're going to go to hell anyway. Some of you have done that. And that's just not helpful. As a matter of fact, that's just more hurtful, which leads to the second option. We can identify some solutions to help change those perceptions. You already know which one Jesus would have us do. So that's what we're going to do over these next four weeks. Throughout this series for these four weeks, we're going to look at four common negative perceptions that people have with followers of Christ and identify some next step solutions for how to change or begin to change those perceptions. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and of your life, you need to engage in this series. Because not being unlikable is preventing many people from wanting to know the person whom we say we follow. That is Jesus. 
You are not responsible for people's decisions, but you are responsible for how a watching world perceives Jesus because you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are Christ's ambassador. So listen, if you listen with an open mind and take the next steps I'm encouraging you to take throughout this series, I believe it will help change people's negative perspective of us so that they hopefully want to know us and the Jesus we say we follow. The only way to effectively share the good news of Jesus with people who have never experienced it is if they know that we like them and they actually like us. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you say you're not into this whole church thing, you're kind of skeptical of this, you're kind of put off by all of this, you can't even believe you're here this morning or you're tuning in. I totally get it. We do some weird things. But here's, you probably don't agree with most things I say in any sermon. You're going to agree with everything I say today and following today. You're going to be like, I like this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Because you could, pre- you could preach this sermon, right? And so you're going to love it because I'm going to be picking on us people who say we're followers of Christ. But let me just say to you, starting off before we get going, if you'd say I'm not into this whole thing. Man, I just want to say I'm sorry. Like, if some of the ways that you're perceiving us have made you not interested in Jesus because of us, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I can't speak for every person who calls himself a follower of Christ at every church. I can't even speak for every person at Relevant Community Church. But I hope you see throughout this series, and I hope you experience here in our midst and when you're interacting with us, that we love you and we are for you And we screw that up all the time. And maybe there's something in this series that stirs your heart to make you want to know Jesus. But for whatever ways that we maybe prevented that in your life up to this point in time, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And we're trying to do better. All right, the first negative perception I'm going to look at today is that we're sheltered. Now, you've probably heard it. You Christians, you people who call yourself Christians, you, sh- you shelter yourselves. You shelter yourselves from anyone and anything you don't agree with. You shelter yourselves from people who act, think, believe, and look differently than you. You shelter yourselves from anything you don't understand. You shelter yourselves from having hard conversations and questions. You shelter yourselves from perspectives and ideas that differ from you. You shelter yourselves from complex issues of society. You shelter yourself from anything and anyone outside of your religious community. You shelter yourselves from reality. Shoot, you shelter yourself from fun. You're just a bunch of prudes, and if you show up, you're just a bunch of buzzkills. We don't even want you there. You shelter yourself from anything normal and just make it totally weird. You do stupid stuff like trunk or treat because you won't send your kids to trick or treat because it's Satan's holiday and we're evidently all a bunch of Satan worshipers. And then you use weird phrases like Christmas instead of Christmas. You shelter yourself, you shelter your kids in private school and homeschool because you want to protect them from learning about anything that you don't agree with or being exposed to people who have different ideas than you have. You just live in your Christian bubbles with people who look like you, agree with you, believe the same thing you do, and who are boring like you, weird like you, close-minded like you, out of touch with reality like you, and non-critical thinkers like you. You heard that before? (laughs) And listen, I know all immediate responses. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I mean, we'd all disagree with the fact that we're sheltered, but based on what our approach so often is, how could we not be perceived that way? Because so often our approach is to take our stance by our positions. And listen, I guarantee you have some doctrinal, theological, spiritual, moral, social, political, ideological positions that you believe deeply are right and deeply are true. And that's good. That's awesome. 
But the approach that we're naturally inclined to take with people who disagree with us, people who say no to our positions, people who behave, believe, think, and act differently, is to take our stance by our positions away from them and away from it. And it kind of looks like this. You're wrong and I'm right. You're over there on the wrong side, on the dark side, on the evil side, and I'm over here on the right side, on the true side, on the good side. You need to change your position, your belief, your behavior, your thinking. Until you do, I'm going to go ahead and stay over here away from you, by the way, while I show you how wrong that you are. Now, you may not say that out loud, but so often our actions prove that. We take our kids out of that school. We cancel shopping there. We cancel watching them. We cancel listening to them. We unfriend them on social media. We separate ourselves from people who think and act and behave differently. We shelter ourselves over here, away from them, away from that, away from it. And we do it because we believe over there, over there is evil. Over there is darkness and we're called to be holy. We do it because how will they see we're different if we don't? We do it because we have to protect ourselves and our kids from being infected and influenced by those people's ideas and those people's ideologies and those people's behaviors and those people's beliefs. We do it because they need to know where I stand. And I, want them, I don't want them to think that I condone that behavior, I condone that belief, I condone that position. And the only way they're ever going to know it and they're ever going to change is if I take a strong, strong stand over here away from them. Well, let me ask you a question. How's that working? Anyone coming over to your position ever? Are you positively influencing anyone for Jesus with that approach? And you already know the answer. No. Never. And by the way, you know this. The more we shelter ourselves through this approach, the more offended we get. Some of you are super offended right now. And the more offensive we become. When we're perceived as being sheltered people, we're perceived as being people who are out of tune, out of touch, closed-minded, shallow, and weird. We're perceived as being either anti-gay, anti-guns, anti-abortion, anti-pro-choice, anti-conservative, anti-liberal, ultimately anti-them. We're conceived to be as being people who don't like them, and they don't like us because we're unlikable. And when we're unlikable, we lose all ability to influence because this is so important. The potential for influence is created within the context of relationship. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, as the church, we're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, Christ's ambassadors. But the reality of it is, we're never able to do it if we're living sheltered or perceived as being sheltered. So what's the solution? And I believe... The solution is to think differently, not about what your positions are, but simply about where you're standing. You don't have to change, and you shouldn't change or compromise what your doctrinal, theological, moral, social, or political positions are to impact people for Jesus. But we do need to change our approach by thinking differently about where we stand. And so for the rest of the time today, I want to present a new approach that isn't so new because it was Jesus' approach. And one of the places we see Jesus' approach is recorded in Luke 19. 
I have preached this passage so many times before, but I'll continue to because it's so powerful and so relevant for today, especially because of how we're so often perceived. And here's how the story goes. Jesus entered Jericho, that's a city near Jerusalem, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, before we go on, I want you to imagine the most unacceptable, unforgivable, unredeemable person you possibly can. A person whose positions, behaviors, and beliefs just disgust you to the point that you want to throw up. Got him in your mind? Now multiply that times ten. And that's how Jews, first century Jews, viewed t tax collectors in the first century. Tax Jewish tax collectors in the first century were Jewish traders. They collected taxes for the ruling Roman government from their own people. However, they took more than what was required and kept the extra for themselves. Which means they lied to their own people. They stole from their own people. They cheated their own people for the Roman government. All the while, their people got poor and they got more wealthy. And because of that, most tax collectors, tax collectors just lived an enormously immoral lifestyle. Zacchaeus was viewed as one of the worst of the worst. Despised, people despised him. He was, the past, he was past the point of God's grace in their eyes. Nobody liked Zacchaeus and he knew it. And the reality was he probably deserved it. But God loved Zacchaeus and wanted him to know it. But how would Zacchaeus ever know that? How would Zacchaeus ever feel that? It was going to take someone with an entirely different approach. Well, into Zacchaeus' life walks Jesus. Verse 3. He, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. Like he's, he's heard some amazing things about Jesus. He's heard, you know, he claimed to be the son of God, that he's healed people, that he's raised people from the dead. And he's like, I got to go see who this guy is myself. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him and, uh, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, here's a question that most people who are familiar with this story have never asked before. The question is, why did Zacchaeus choose to climb a tree instead of navigate politely through the crowd until he got to a place that he could see Jesus. And you're like, well, it's because he was short. He wasn't the only short person there that day. Like, this guy wasn't two inches tall. Other short people seem to do just fine. And I'm reading the line, between the line here. But I believe the reason he did this was because he didn't want to get close to the people in the crowd. He knew where they stood and how they felt about him and how they despised him. He knew their approach with him was, you stay over there away from us, Zacchaeus, until you change. So instead of having to deal with all that, he just kept himself separated from them. He kept him separated from the crowd. And he climbed the tree. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot. Now, real quick. By keeping himself separated from the crowd, Zacchaeus knew he could potentially miss seeing Jesus. But instead... Jesus ended up walking directly under the tree that Zacchaeus was in. Was that by accident? Or did Jesus go where Zacchaeus was on purpose? We, we don't know. All we know is there Jesus was standing a few feet from that tax collector. And what Jesus did and said next took everyone by surprise, especially Zacchaeus. Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house Today. Now, if Jesus has implemented our approach, hey, Zacchaeus, when it comes to your behaviors, your actions, your positions, you need to know where I stand. And if you want to know me, you need to change first, Zacchaeus, 
So until then, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. You're over there, and I'm over there. But Jesus took a different approach. He took a relational one. Going into someone's home in the first century was a sign of relationship. Eating in someone's home was a sign of relational peace, love, acceptance. And this is so cool. Of all the people in Jericho that day, of all the people in the crowd that day, Jesus singles out an unacceptable sinner whom everyone else had sheltered themselves from and said, I want to be with you today. Let's go hang out at your house. And here was Zacchaeus' response. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I mean, Zacchaeus is so blown away by Jesus' approach with him, he immediately welcomed him into his home. Not because he felt like Jesus agreed with all of his positions or agreed with his lifestyle, but because he felt like Jesus was interested in a relationship with him. But, just like many of us, the crowd did not understand Jesus' approach. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I mean, the crowd, they can't believe Jesus would go to Zacchaeus' house because that guy was a liar. He was a thief. He was a sinner. Jesus, how could you do that? Like, is, he con- is Jesus condoning lying? Is Jesus condoning being a thief? Is he condoning Zacchaeus' sin? He should stand as far away from Zacchaeus as absolute possible. Why would he go into his house? Jesus doesn't even entertain it. He just goes right to Zacchaeus' house. And while Jesus was at Zacchaeus' house, we don't know what they talked about. But I don't believe Jesus told him all the reasons he was wrong and called him any names and called him greedy and called him a liar and called him a cheat. If Jesus would have done that, it would have been truthful. It just probably wouldn't have been impactful. wouldn't have been helpful. I believe over lunch they simply got to know each other. Talked about the love, grace, mercy, forgiveness that God has made available to Zacchaeus through him. And I believe that because that's what changes and impacts and transforms people's hearts and lives. And that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus before Jesus left the house that day. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And by the way, Jesus' statement there in short means that Jesus is stating Zacchaeus has entered into a saving relationship with God through faith in him. When Jesus walked into Zacchaeus' home that day, Zacchaeus was a liar and a thief who stood unforgiven for his sins before Holy Creator God, thus separated from Holy Creator God. When Jesus walked out that day, Jesus had a, or Zacchaeus had a restored relationship with God and was more transformed to the generous, truthful man that God created him to be. And the only reason that happened is because of the approach that Jesus took with Zacchaeus. He chose to say yes to the relationship. Now, before Jesus left Zacchaeus' house that day, he said one final thing. And Jesus' final statement answers the question, Who is God for? 
Answers the question about the ultimate reason Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. Answers the question about why Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house that day to begin with. Answers the question, why did Jesus say yes to this relationship? And here's the last thing Jesus said. For the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I referenced this statement from Jesus earlier in my sermon, but now that you know the context in which Jesus said it in, it should mean much, much more. Why did Jesus say yes to a relationship with Zacchaeus? For one reason. Because people like Zacchaeus are who Jesus came to seek and to save. People like Zacchaeus are who Jesus came to this earth for, died on the cross for, and rose from the grave for. So Jesus goes, hey, Zacchaeus, even though you're wrong in just about every way there is to be wrong, I'm saying yes to a relationship with you. Zacchaeus, even though all my positions are right, I'm not going to take my stand over here away from you. Instead, I'm going to stand relationally with you because, Zacchaeus, I came for you. Jesus did not compromise and Jesus does not change his, his positions on greed and lying and cheating and stealing and tax collecting with Zacchaeus. All he did was change where he stood. He chose to be with Zacchaeus. His approach was to stand with him and say yes to the relationship. And he chose this approach because he cared about one thing more than anything else. Seeking and saving those who are lost. And he knew that could never happen by being sheltered from Zacchaeus over here because the potential for influence is created within the context of relationship. Now, fast forward one week. One week. Jesus gathered his 12 disciples together for one final meal before he was arrested and ultimately crucified. And after the meal was over, Jesus prayed. And one of the things he prayed for were his, were his disciples. And what he prayed was so powerful, not just for them, but for you and for me. And here's some of what he prayed. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That you protect them from the lies and tax and temptations of Satan. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be sanctified means to be more transformed into everything God's created you to be. It means more, to be more transformed to be and look more like Jesus in every way. The way we think, believe, behave, talk, act, love, relate. And many people who like, may grew up in church world have heard this phrase before. Be in the world, but not of the world. That prop popular phrase actually came from this verse. And as you can see, Jesus definitely wants his followers to be in the world. Jesus prayed that they, that we, would not be taken out of the world. And he also does not want us to be of the world. He said that they, that we are not of the world any more than he is of this world. And you know it's because after you put your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So this is a popular phrase. Many of us have heard many times. And I like the phrase, and I don't think the phrase is wrong. I think this phrase just sometimes gives the wrong impression that as we are in the world, what we really need to do is make sure we're not of it. But being not of the world isn't the destination. Being not of the world is the starting point. Because here, here's how Jesus ends his final prayer for his 12 disciples that is for every disciple who would follow, for you and for me. 
As you sent me into the world with the mission of seeking and saving the lost, I have sent them into the world. I sent them into the world to carry on my mission. The phrase be in the world but not of the world has times created a sheltering mentality. We're in this world, but ultimately we need to shelter ourselves from it. And that's not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus called his followers to be not of the world, but in it. Not of the world is the starting place. It's the foundation of where things are moving from. Sent into the world to carry on Jesus' mission is the destination. It's what we're called to move toward. Jesus wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be transformed, to be and look more like him, not so we can shelter ourselves more from that dark, evil world, but so that we can go into it and be the light of the world. Sheltering ourselves from a world that needs Jesus takes Jesus out of the world. And we are Christ's ambassadors. Transform people. Transform people. Being not of the world but in it doesn't have as much to do with what your positions are as it does with where you're standing. It's going from being sheltered over here From them to standing over here with them. Saying, I'm not going to stand over there away from you based on any of my positions. But I'm going to say yes to you. And yes to a relationship with you. I'm going to stand and be with you with all your positions, with all my positions. I'm going to be with you to share the love of Jesus with you. This is not just a good approach. This is the best approach because it was Jesus' approach. It's the best approach because it communicates, I care about you ahead of the issues, despite our disagreements, regardless of your or my positions. When people know that, when people know that, they'll know you like them. Shoot. They'll know you love them. And that's the best chance we have for them to potentially like us, which is vitally important because the potential for influence is created within the context of relationship. But how? How do we do this? Well, it's much more simple than we often make it. Being not of the world, but in it, starts with our transformation. That's why Jesus prayed for their sanctification and for our sanctification. And what I'm going to say next is so important. You can't make a difference if you're not different. You can't make a difference if you're not different. You can't be Christ's ambassador if you don't look like Christ. You can't be the salt of the earth and the light of the world if you're not being more transformed to everything God's created you to be. Changing people's perceptions of us doesn't happen by being like the rest of the world. It happens by being more like Jesus in every way. In the way that we think, the way that we believe, the way that we behave, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we love, the way we relate. We want them to perceive while we're with them you know what? You're not like anybody else I know. And how are we, how are we more transformed to who God's created us to be? This is, we talk about it all the time here at Relevant. I mean, it's what we all, this is all we talk about. We do it by staying connected to Jesus. And those of you who are here on Christmas Eve, you're going to remember this. I did this on Christmas Eve. 
We all love Christmas lights. We love it. They're lit up. They're beautiful. But only when it's lit. And how do these lights stay lit? They'd say lit by being staying connected to the strand. If you disconnect this light from the strand, it's useless. It's lost all its light. It's not full of light anymore. And Jesus would say to you and to me, as his followers, as disciples, you got to stay connected to me every single day. Because if you disconnect yourself from me, you're not full of my light anymore my peace anymore, my hope anymore, my joy anymore, my life anymore. And if you're not full of my light, you can't be the light of the world. We stay connected to Jesus by following him as the leader of our lives every single day, one next step at a time. So those of you who say you're followers of Christ, that you've put your faith in Jesus, let me ask you, what next step has, been, has, has Jesus been inviting you to take that you have not taken I guarantee you already know. Could be something relationally, sexually, financially, something at home, something at work, something, you know, in church, something connecting in a tea life group, showing up on Sunday. It could be a numerous things. Take it. Take the step. That is how you stay connected to the strand. Being not of the world but in it starts with our transformation and then it happens when we say yes to the relationship. Just like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Relationally saying yes to people who have said no to Jesus, no to church, no to what we believe. To people who believe and behave and think and act differently than we do. To people who, who don't know Jesus but need Jesus. And you go, well, I don't know any of those people. Yes, you do. If you say you don't know them. Is because you've been sheltering yourself for too dang long to recognize it. They're the people in your classroom. They're the people in your office. They're the people on your team. It's the parents from the other parents on the, your kid's team. It's your neighbors. They're around every day. Say yes to those relationships. By the way, I'm a pastor. It is the most easy thing for me to live in a Christian bubble every day because I work with everyone who's followers of Christ all day long. That's who I work with. So I guess it's easy, easy for me to live in a Christian bubble, which is why I go to the gym, the same gym for years at the exact same time so that I can be around people and meet people who don't know Jesus, who, so I can go be a light in the world and say yes to those relationships. And just by the way, real quick before going, you need to know this, that your transformation and saying yes to the relationship and be a light, those two things are interconnected. The more you're transformed to look like Jesus, the more you will have a heart for the same people that Jesus came to seek and to save. So if you don't have have a heart for those people, you need to check your heart and check your transformation because you don't look more like Jesus by not having a heart for him. Thank you. <laughs> One person got happy about that. <laughs> so how do we say yes to people who have said no to Jesus, no to the church, no to what we believe, no to us? How do we relationally say yes to people who, in, in a way that introduces them to the love and hope and grace and mercy and salvation of Jesus through our relationship with him? Once again, we do it by being with them. 
by getting out of our shelters and standing over here with them to get to know them, to listen to them, to love them, to serve them, to share lives with them, to relationally invest in them. Being with them is so important because proximity creates the potential for relationships. And as we say yes to the relationship by being with them, we do that. And as we're with them, we seek to do what will glorify God. While we're with them, we pray quietly and constantly, God, what will glorify you? God, what will glorify you? God, what will glorify you right now? God, what will, will glorify you when I'm with them? God, what will glorify you when we go on spring break together? God, what will glorify you when I'm offended by them? God, what will glorify you when we're at the bar? God, what will glorify you in how I talk and how I listen and how I behave? And listen, if you pray this constantly, God, what will glorify you? And if you listen, you're going to hear stuff because I believe this is where the Spirit just puts some things in our mind. God's Spirit just prompts us with some stuff. You're going to hear stuff like, say something. You're going to hear, ask if you can pray for them. You're going to hear, keep your mouth shut and just listen. You're going to hear, serve them. You're going to hear, invite them. You might hear, remove yourself. By the way, if you're praying this, you're with them, you're praying, you know, God will glorify you. You will know that God is saying remove yourself, that he's prompting you in that way. If you're being influenced by more than you're influencing. If you're being influenced by more than you're influencing, you're not being this light of the world. Your light has gone out. And sometimes in those situations, he's prompting you to say, you need to say no to that and come back over here because you need a little more transformation. But that's not their problem. That's your problem. That's a you issue. That's not a them issue. So you listen. And you respond, and if you do, you, it has the potential to be powerful. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I told you a second ago about the gym. There's a guy I work out with the gym. I, don't, I mean, we're at the gym at the same time. His name's Adam. Um, met him about three years ago. We're at the gym at the same time every day together. Adam's just a massive, massive man, almost as big as me, just a big human being. <laughs> and, um, and Adam, I just love him. We got to know each other. And Adam's one of my reach ones. Someone I want to reach for Jesus, the one person I reach for Jesus. And so I intercede, I pray for him all the time. I invest in him relationally. I've invited him a thousand times. And Adam is completely against everything Jesus and church. And how do I know that? Because he's told me numerous times. Like, he's like, I mean, at best he's agnostic, maybe atheist. He's just like, you, this is the stupidest thing. He almost gets angry talking about it. I've invited him a thousand times. He's like, dude, I don't know why you keep inviting me. I ain't showing up. I'm like, okay, I'll just keep inviting you. Because uh, I'm bigger than you. What are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? And uh, so anyway, it, this is like for three years, it's like going nowhere. I feel like this is just, I'm terrible at this. I can't ever use him in an illustration in our church because I'm terrible at it. And so this was so weird. Two weeks ago, I was praying for Adam one morning. It was a two, two Monday mornings ago. I was praying for Adam. And I felt at the end of it, I should text him and tell him I'm praying for him. And I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> nope. Oh, God, what will glorify you? Text and tell. So I texted him. I said, hey, bro, just want to let you know, prayed for you this morning. Don't even know what to pray for you about. Just want to let you know I prayed for you. Send. Woonk. Does not text back. Ghosted me. And doesn't say anything about it at the gym the rest of the week. And I'm like, oh, crap. I screwed it up. Like, you're like, what did I do? This is no lie. Six Monday, six days ago Monday, he goes, hey, Ronnie, do you remember when you texted me? This is at the gym Monday morning. He goes, do you remember when you texted me last week and said you were praying for me? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I do remember that. I think he's like, 
He's like, dude, craziest thing happened. He goes, that morning I got in a car accident. And he goes, and this a little while later I got your text. And he said, just for a quick second, I thought, huh. He goes, just for a quick second, I thought, huh. <laughs> and you know, of course, what I said next. It's like, brother, when you have faith in Jesus, spirit natural hedges of protection will come around you. It's like, no, that's weird. Like, no, I guess say that crap. I just played it off, dude. I was like, well, bro, I love you. I think God loves you, so I'm just going to keep praying for you. That's what I said, and I just went and lifted more than him the rest of the day. You know, like, that's how I went. But it was just that, that, huh, huh, would have never happened if I stand over here away from him. Never happens. Listen, you're called to be not of the world, but in it. So here's my question for you. Who do you need to say yes to the relationship with? Get out of your shelter by saying yes to them because it's the only way they'll ever know you like them, that you love them. And that's the best chance you have for them to potentially like you, which is vitally important because the potential to influence is created within the context of relationship. You being likable doesn't guarantee they'll want to believe what you believe, but it will make them much more likely, make, much, make it much more likely that they want to know you more. And getting to know you, well, that could transform their life. Getting to know you could transform their eternity because you are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. And you are Christ's ambassadors. Changing people's perceptions, it isn't easy. It takes an enormous amount of intentionality. We've got to think, we forget all the time. And so one thing, you know, we've done this before, but one thing that we want to do is throughout the series was to just help remind you. And so we put together a little lock screen for your phone. Um, and I just want to encourage you, download this lock screen, just text the word likable, has an E in it, uh, to 55444. Uh, we'll send you a link to download this. And just keep it on your phone during this series. And so you could just be reminded, be reminded all the time and then realize, okay, maybe as we just have this constant reminder all day long, maybe this will begin to change some perceptions. Dear Lord, um, thank you for today. I pray your words are the words that were heard. Um, pray you just, we just walk out of here saying, Jesus, we want to be more like you, live more like you, love what you love, love who you love. Um, I pray that this week uh, we are truly the light of someone's world. In Jesus' name, amen.